Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This is the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we talk about the big cat's return to competitive golf, live players winning on both sides of the world on the DP World Tour, and the continued never-ending rumors of John Rahm going to live, and maybe the leaked contents of a rule-back change for all of us, and much, much more. But first, this episode is brought to you by B. Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. B. Dratty makes the softest poles you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bdratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I'm joined by George and PGA Tour winner, Billy Hurley III. George, let's start with you. Tiger is back. Did you see a Tiger that's going to play much this year that is perhaps going to compete this year? It's, it's hard to say based on this whether they're going to whether he's going to compete um he he walked well for all uh 72 holes so i think that was i mean i was kind of on twitter waiting to see that they kept showing swings and we've seen tiger swing the club and then they take the camera away you don't see him like wince away or do anything so uh he he looked i mean yeah you can see the cat is still in there um his press conferences he said all the right things about i want to come back i think i can play one a month i can i can do this this is my leg is whatever procedures and everything he's had has finally gotten to a point of strength and stability so i mean i look as a golf fan we all want to see him come back if he could do one last hurrah um you know for sure he's going to figure out how to do it the guy is just wired differently than maybe anyone who's ever played the game before him. So, you know, if there's someone I'm not betting against, it, it would be Tiger Woods. So yeah, he, he's uh, wired, he's wired differently. And he's also just wired uh, differently with all the, uh, the wire and <laughs> duct tape and screws that are all over his or, body. We had a guy that was actually, you know, at our club, he happened to be down in the Bahamas. He was at Albany and was able to check out Tiger during one of the rounds. You know, he remarked, he kept looking kind of like you, George, at like, yes, the swings, but also the walk in between shots. And he kind of remarked, yeah, but there's no hills out here. You know, we're just seeing him, you know, walk along a pretty, pretty flat piece of land. Did you guys see the same human walk that I watched walk? I didn't say he's going to run a marathon, Billy. But you said he walked fine. He limped to the podium stage for his press conference pre-tournament. Was it as like, bad as a limp as we've seen like in previous iterations? Well, though? okay, no, I got that it's better. I'm on board with that. But he's not. Ha- he does not have a normal gait. Okay, no, but I mean, and, and, so he won the U.S. Open with a broken leg. He was 32. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know. Like, I'm just, it, it, I'm, I'm you're struggling. You're in the camp that, that, it's, that it's hoping against hope that we're all just hoping I'm, for this last hurrah and that he's not really going to be able to I'm walk. in the camp that we're all hoping for it, right? Like, and and no one's hoping for it more than Jay Monahan, and we'll get there. But it just didn't look as good as I think the world wants it to look. The couple of swings... You know, I didn't watch much golf this week, but the couple of swings I saw him make, he sunk into the left side. He doesn't want to get into the right side. He doesn't want to drive off the right side. And he's Tiger Woods, so we can still flipping figure it out, right? He's 
no problem, right? He's he's Tiger Woods. He'll he'll still hit the golf ball where he wants to hit it. But it, yeah, I don't know. I think we're I think we're adding too much hope to a situation because we just want it to be what it's not going to be. I'm kind of with you that he's going to be good enough to give us flashes of brilliance at times. He's going to remind us that he has all the touch in the world still and that he can compete because he's a fierce competitor, but I just don't see it. I, I see a, an upper body and a lower body that don't match up. One looks like a bodybuilder up top and then clearly can't, to your point, Billy, like transition between moving his his mass and and like his weight shift is not what we're used to seeing in any way, shape or form. So he's sort of He's sort of like swinging his upper body tremendously fast against a left side that doesn't move a whole lot. Um, I, again, get to a place of, I think he'll give us flashes of brilliance, but I just, I don't see it. I don't see him playing once a month. Uh, I think we're going to be lucky to to see him play the weekend at all this year. Yeah, I don't I don't see the once a month. And, and, and I think when he does play, yeah, will he shoot a 69 on Friday and like make you think it's still in there? And but I think if he, you know, he's gonna just be a lot of 35ths when he when he plays. Well, he might be worse than that because he was 19th out of 20. And yeah, and but they get world golf ranking points, George. Like it's he, gotta be a real thing. I think the only reason he was 19th, um, and it's worth talking about return. Was it wasn't he 17th? Yeah, I think he beat he beat more than more than just willie z right yeah so uh well e- either way i think he shot Te- even Paul. technically speaking he was even par in 18th wyndham clark was 18th two over par. wyndham clark Will and... 11 over par from Will go Zaltoris. ahead george yeah so so moving on from from tiger we we all want to see it but it's i'll believe it when i see it i i want that's actually gonna be a theme for a few things we'll talk about this today but um when it comes to to tiger being competitive again we all want it. I'll believe it when I see it. I agree. I mean, there's there's body stuff there. I, I'm seeing how jacked he is. Um, I started a little kerfuffle on Twitter today, um, pointing out that with his puffy face and completely shredded body, that it reminded me of Barry Bonds uh, sending baseballs to the moon. And people got very, very protective of the big cat. What are you insinuating? Um. I I just have just an observation. Just an observation. Okay, understood. I, I mean, George, you're talking about a guy that's never put you know different types of substances in his body in an uncontrolled way and had bad things happen. Like what? What are you? you know what? what do you mean? Excuse me. I, uh, by by all the accounts, um, Barry Bonds and Victor Conte worked very hard together to <laughs> be very specific. So I, I'm not saying that he's he's being. You know, DJ's lawyer is sending you a, a you know a vehemently worded email right now, so George. The uh, but but moving on to someone else who no one would accuse or confuse with Barry Bonds, Willie Z. I mean, first of all, he's got of the broomstick putter, and there were still some horrifying glitches in the short putts, like his last putt on Friday was maybe two feet and it had a full hitch stop restart get it in the hole swing to it that the broomstick's supposed to fix that and it seems like it's still there um now i know he's coming back from back injury all those things he's probably really got to kind of retrain his muscles and things for the swing 
So I'm not going to put too much worry in his 11 over, but the putting stroke did not look like there's been any headway made there. This is his first event back. I'm willing to give the broomstick putter some time. I think that it's worked for a number of players. We saw Lucas Glover, uh, you know, have a resurgence playing with the broomstick putter. I'll, I'll, I'll give Willie Z a few more weeks to to knock the rust off, see if this stroke can uh, can work for him, and then maybe he just goes left handed putting after that, and and you know rolls the dice. But yeah, it looked a little shaky, but uh, I'll give I'll give it some time. I think that's fair. First first time back um, since since back surgery and what since like the BMW in twenty two, I guess right. So August twenty two, so it's been fifteen months, sixteen months. Um, yeah. We'll see. And speaking of the leaderboard, you know, Tiger finished at even par, loses by 20 to a, a guy named Scotty Scheffler, who is still really, really good. Uh, took some time off after it, the Ryder Cup. Is the world on notice tur- now? Tur- turns out like he's he's just really good at everything. There's is not the a lot world, of gaps world in that back bag. on notice that Scotty Scheffler is number one in the world and like still wants to be there? You know, was, I saw this crazy stat. Um after the Georgia Alabama football game, that the last time Georgia lost a football game, Scotty Scheffler had not won on the PGA Tour and was ranked 16th in the world. That is bonkers. And now he's got the Patrick Cantley stuck vortex at number one. I mean, now if you keep winning, I got it. But um, yeah, that that's a that's a, that's a heck of a stat. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. And for all intents and purposes, this is, you know, the last event on the PGA Tour calendar, you know, not really an official PGA Tour event, but certainly sanctioned and they got all the points, blah, 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 blah. We could talk about all that. But but I do take away from this event, like who, you know, perhaps is is rounding into form, who perhaps is is making some headway toward kicking off the season on the right foot. And to that end, Justin Thomas looked solid, you know. If you're looking for silver linings amongst the uh, the leaderboard, you'd look at Justin Thomas, you know, finishing, you know, four shots back in in solo third place. Uh, looks like looks like the ball striking and some of the things that ailed him last year. Uh, obviously, an uncharacteristic season for him last year overall. You know, perhaps he's turned that turned that corner. Um, well, he he was open that he basically told his nutritionist to kick rocks. And I was going to say, I think the diet didn't work. Yeah, he he basically. I was like, nah, we're good. Like, we're full send, and it looks like he's back. And the very last thing that I'll hit on the on the hero, and we can move on, is Colin Morikawa was hit with a very interesting penalty. Uh, in in the third round, uh, he was asked about some of the markings in his greens book uh, that was raised by his playing partner Matt Fitzpatrick, and it turned out that on the practice putting green, his caddy had made some notations and used a level on the practice putting green and then made notations about the aim point putting method. For those of you that understand it, they know, you know, that there's a specific calculation, a, a formula, if you will, uh, a, you know, sort of chart around what 1%, one and a half, two and a half, two and a half, three and a half, four percent means in terms of how they would read that as X number of inches and fingers and all those sorts of things. And it turns out you have to commit that, that to memory. And of course, that changes whether you're on 11s or 11 and a half or 12 or 12 and a half stint greens. And so they had used that method to use a level on the practice putting green and then put that calculation in the yardage book. What say you, Billy? Is this a, is this the start of 
of something new? Is this just someone that slipped up and didn't understand the particulars of the rule? I, I joke, are we going to see like the, uh, that weird thing with uh, major league baseball umpires when like between every inning they go and like frisk the pitcher and check their hair and glove to see if there's any weird materials going on. This episode is brought to you by B Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. 10 years ago, B Dratty started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos. They traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft organic Peruvian Pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple. Today, Bdratty still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bdratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Bdratty for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Well, that's probably where it needs to go. If we're honest, we probably need some sort of spot checking system of books just to maintain the integrity of it. I mean, it sounds like this was a Matt Fitzpatrick is playing partner asked a rules official, hey, can I do this? Um, because he was kind of like, hey, if I can do that, you know, Fitzpatrick wasn't trying to get Morikawa in trouble. He was trying to learn for himself is the way I understand the context of all of this. And he asked a rules official, can I do this? And the rules official said, well, wait, I need, why are you asking that? Like, what is the, you know, broader, you know, context of the conversation that led to Morikawa, you know, being questioned in his book being, or I don't know if it's his book or his caddy's book, but you can't write the formula down. That's, that's the thing. You can write a lot of things down. You can you can write memory down. You can you can write like you know this ball broke more than I thought it did on the back of the 14th green, you know, et cetera. But but you can't do any of that with a level. You can't do any of that with a with a chart. Um, so using a level on the putting green, let's start there, is not a violation. Okay, if you take a level out to any green on the golf course at any point during the week, you cannot do that. That's been that's been kind of outlawed in the sense of of greens reading materials you you can't go create your own with a level you can do it on the putting green you can practice you can do whatever you want it's not the field of play you know it's 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 kind of you know an extra place that's treated differently so so what they what what colin and jj did on the putting green was is not a problem the the problem is when they wrote down the formula or the calculations from what they learned on the putting green had they just simply memorized what they learned on the putting green we wouldn't be having this conversation so you basically can't write anything down that you get from a technological device we'll call it i don't know what the exact verbiage or words are but you know anything that comes from feel anything that comes from history Anything that comes from practice, you can write all of that down. You know, you can put arrows in your book, you can put whatever. But if it comes from a, you know, artificial technological device, you you can't do that. So do we need to go to spot checks and books? I don't know. But but maybe, maybe that needs to be, you know, a part of, you know, just kind of a, a random check on on yardage books at the end of each round for, you know, four players a day or whatever. 
And the other golf being played this week was interesting because of who ended up rising to the top of the leaderboard. You had two events on the DP World Tour, the Joburg Open in South Africa and the Australian Open, of course, in Australia. And you had Jaco Neiman winning in a playoff over, and I want to get his name right, Rakuya Hashino in a, in a three-hole playoff uh, makes both of them birdie birdie at the first two times or the first time around after both birding it on 18. Uh, Yako actually hit three amazing second shots in a row on the par five 18th hole, had eagle looks and finally drained the third one. So wins on the second playoff hole to win the Australian Open. Uh, third place Minwoo Lee kind of stumbled with a 72, but but a valiant fight. And then the other uh, side of the world, like I mentioned, mean Dean Burmeester wins the Joburg Open. The one thing that I found super notable, did not watch any of this golf, but read an article that said, he woke up, woke up on Friday and felt so bad that he was vomiting on the golf course and almost withdrew on Friday. Literally, his caddy said, you know, we got to think about next week. We're playing the uh, the Alfred Dunhill links. Are you sure you don't just want to withdraw? He sticks with it and ends up winning winning the event by uh, by a few shots. So a hat tip to, you know, guys that it turns out are are competitive and, and don't just play hit and giggles, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, I loved kind of seeing this and. um the the interesting thing is, you know, we were getting a lot of information from the folks down in Australia, and they said that for, you know, 99% of the Australian Open, they were doing, they were going through gigantic painstaking efforts. Was this the Australian Open or the Australian PGA? This was the Australian Open. Last yeah. week, the Australian PGA, Minwoo Lee had won that, so he's looking okay. for the Aussie double and led through the first three rounds. Yeah, that they the announcers and the TV crew were taking painstaking efforts to cover everything and anything aside from Waco Neiman, um, and it's it's stuff like that that just sort of drives you nuts. Where it, you know, especially like golf Australia, like what what's your dog in this fight? Um, you're I, you're getting superstars down there. You should just be excited. I, for what it's Alliance worth, here's with the DP World Tour, so they're kind of yeah, I don't but, know. But, but for what it's worth, here's what I'll say. I, I did watch coverage. One, there was a funny moment when uh, Golf Channel had technical difficulties. So when you first flipped it on, they were showing you the third round coverage on delay because they couldn't figure it out for a good hour, it seems. And then once they finally got into coverage, they were covering Adam Scott, who had made a huge run and then faltered a little bit down the stretch, and then showing a lot of Min Woo Lee. And so I think you're looking at them trying to really tell the story of their two, you know, two of their favorite sons, if you will, from, from Australia. I don't know if it was as uh, intentional from my view of it. And they certainly gave him a ton of credit for he hit the second shot in regulation from nearly like, I think it took a drop off the grandstands. No, no, actually he had to go up into the grandstands to like get a look of his line and then came back out of the grandstands to like hit the shot uh, into a very daring shot into the par five 18th and hit it to 20 feet for Eagle Two putted that to, to make his way into the playoff. Um, and then hit two tremendous shots uh, in the playoff and eventually made the the second one, made an eagle putt. So I, I thought they gave him his due, but but I agree with you, George. When those things happen, it just seems petty and silly. Yeah, and especially, I know Golf Australia or whatever is aligned with the DP World Tour. How's that going to look in the next one to three years when the DP Tour graduates its best players to the PGA Tour, who then move to jupiter and don't want to fly how far is it billy 17 hours yeah 17 uh, that's the number yeah yeah and don't want to fly to australia anymore i mean they 
they picked a, a bad horse and I guess they picked the only horse that was available at the time, but it seems to me given the, the, the main guy at live or the, the CEO and everything else. And I realize he's burned every bridge he's ever walked across, but um, the, the reality is, is, you know, they may need to really take a hard look at what's out there and decide who's their best partner going forward. I'd be really curious and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but, but I would be really curious to that point, George is does Keith Pelly even have any options? Did he sign them all away in the middle of, you know, 22 when he made the strategic Alliance? And did he basically say in, in those documents, like, Whatever you say, Jay, I will do it. You know, kind I, the, of, kind the way of that Alan Shipnook shared it with us is that he signed everything away at that, that moment. And, and any any so. option value he had to to sort of well, reevaluate right now because would have if to you be tearing up at, that agreement, yeah, yeah, because if you look at all the moves, exactly what you're talking about, George, he must not have options because the the things that are happening are antithetical to the premise of running the most competitive tour you could. Well, he might not have options, but Golf Australia, I assume, does. Well, that, I mean, yeah, I don't know, right? I don't know how that, how how those agreements tie in to being co-sanctioned and for how many years and whatever, whatever. But yeah, and and there have been people that have said that exact thing. Like maybe there's an opportunity for Golf Australia to say, hey, if Liv's giving you this opportunity in the Adelaide tournament, could you rethink your schedule for the Australian Open and or the Australian PGA? to maybe capitalize on that. And so you could imagine seeing more stars because uh, it's a tough, you know, passing up the, the play a play a 72 hole, you know, free money, free points in the Bahamas with tiger to go play the Australian open is just not going to happen anytime soon, but you talked about options. And so let's pivot to a guy that seems to have some very big options ahead of him. And that is one John Rahm. Uh, typically our stance has been, there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of speculation. We're not going to try to comment on things if they don't have a lot of fire. And this one has both a lot of smoke. And so it leads me to believe there is some fire there. And the other reason why I think this one's worth talking about is at any moment, John Rahm could pick up his Twitter, Twitter fingers and decide to put all of this speculation to rest. And he's had many, many weeks to do that now. And the fact that he has not done it, that silence to me speaks volumes that he must be evaluating very seriously his options here. But what say you, George? Let's kick it to you. Is this a uh is this you know the the beginning of of some major coup that's happening here? Well, I don't want to say it's like a coup. I what I am very, very curious about is we we saw earlier this summer that you know within a few weeks of the framework agreement being signed, it it was then leaked that they had to strike the non-solicitation provision from the agreement. So we knew that, Hey, it, it was going to be some guys could still move. And uh, the, what, what is interesting to me and the timing of this is, you know, Rom has been fairly eloquent throughout this entire thing. And he's also been fairly resolute that he's good. He doesn't have to go anywhere. Now, you can see that one of two ways. Uh, there are some people out there that are just crestfallen that how can we ever trust this guy again? You know, he said all these things. We believed him that he was going to stick with the tour and all the, and I'm like, you know what? Two things could be equally true. One, he could have meant them 
the entire time he was saying them. And things changed. January, June 6th definitely changed everything. The, the other thing, and it doesn't make him any worse of a person, is he may have realized that he was about to have a monster year, felt really good about his game. Uh, we had Wesley Bryan on who said, despite the fact that he, at the time he was ranked third in the world, was like, by the way, this dude is going to do big things this year. And he could have been the best negotiator on planet Earth, being like, I'm good. Money doesn't matter. I'm good. Don't. I love it here. I'm, I'm doing everything I need, knowing full well that every time he said it, $25 million got added to, to the offer. Um, the, the numbers being thrown around on, on Twitter, so I, I'm discounting all of that. But they're astronomical. Um, the other thing that I am more curious about is we know there have been private equity offers that have come into the tour or or at least pitches of, of things that could work. As soon as those things come in, you know, the, the people who probably figure it out fastest are the agents and the player agents. I'm really curious if Rom's potential shift in thinking is his agents have gotten wind of what's this going to look like for my guy hey john here's what your take would be in this new pga private equity world this is what's on the table from live if there's going to be peace you'd be a fool not to take this because you're probably going to get it with no penalty and which, if that's the logic happening, I assume his agents aren't the only people thinking this and seeing these numbers and crunching numbers and doing math and maybe going to. I some don't think the math is that hard to do. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, like, it's okay. probably pretty easy. And so <laughs> the and the the other thing, and I said this from the outset, and maybe players are finally seeing it or agents are understanding it now that we have the framework and we're going to negotiate is now it is truly in the player's best interests to almost all make that move to live because it forces the merger and it forces everybody back and they can get the bag and they don't have to take the PR hit. So, you know, and, and I commented on Twitter, everyone, the ROM thing has been everyone's talking about it. There are two other very prominent top six players in the world who curiously withdrew from a hit and giggle in the Bahamas for no really good reason or none given who have been extremely quiet. And if who have also been very open in their, I'll say curiosity towards the potential of what live could be and, you know, sort of like, hey, man, I'm out here to make money and I'm I'm always going to keep my eyes and ears open. So I, people are thinking the dam's going to burst. Um, I don't know if the dam will burst, but it would not stun me at all if if this turns out to be true. Um, there's some other podcasts out there who are a little bit more plugged in than we are, who basically have almost came out and did their their funeral dirge. In, in their release this week that this is effectively a done deal from everything there just from the tea leaves nobody knows anything apparently this is the crazy part is that rom is not answering the phone at all 
players who have talked to him, like, you know, channels that had traditionally existed. It is complete camp radio silence. And, and I've had like a interesting theory about that silence, meaning I heard, because I heard this on the deal book summit uh, show where, where Jay Monahan showed up and, and discussed, and there's been a lot of speculation on this is the week right now where Jay and Yasser are meeting, right? And there could be an opportunity where Yasser says, look, John, I'm going to give you this offer and I want you to take it and I want you to really consider it. But more than anything else, I don't want you to say anything for three weeks. Don't say yes. Don't say no. Don't make a comment at all. Oh, this because is that, such that a alone, piff that, negotiation that alone, tactic. That alone 100%. forces it, forces it to the table. Oh, so so this is just a no-brainer if you're Yasser or if you're Rom right now. Because if you're Yasser, you've got, you know, one of the tours, linchpin stars potentially on the hook. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, won't say anything. So he probably is got something to your earlier point, Brian, of, you know, he could, you know, in in seven words say this isn't true i'm on the pga tour done but he hasn't done that now if you're rom so and if you're so if you're rom why wouldn't you take it to your point george there's going to be no repercussions to coming back at this point so so sign the dollars sign the ink the deal get the dollars come get your share of the pga tour you know equity value rsus whatever even if you don't get it right you know we had this we had this internal conversation you know midweek this week of like well if i was rom i'd wait to play century and get you know my 75 percent of the pip and it's like well hang on if you're going to get six million or they're going to give you 600 now like (laughs) maybe you just go ahead and take the 600 and don't worry about the six okay but um so now I, I I am completely on board with the idea that this is a negotiating tactic where Yasser wins, period. Yeah, and I mean, there's a there's and a does set. he win by him not saying anything? Is Either way, he, well, he actually, do you think sure. he actually wants him to say yes? I think he actually wants to go to the table with Jay and be like, I don't know, man. Do you, you think you think yeah, he's that's probably I don't is know. better. That probably that might be better. I, that you might know, be I mean, that, well, that, if he signs, if, if if he signs, it doesn't. If he signs or doesn't sign, it's not different as long as he doesn't say that he's not going to sign. Correct, and and I mean that's a fun theory, Brian. But and and I mean I don't want to attribute too much to anyone who knows. But for for Rom to sit there and be like, I will be your pawn, and just say nothing, and maybe not even take this deal. No way. Hundred million uh, listen i if everything's number, for sale George. if that's the real number and i, I understand i, can't, I understand I can't we're speculating on numbers that's a that's that an was, astronomical number that was thrown out as like the tiger number and listen 800 I, I was the tiger number okay. so it's you know 25 percent. but you but you no longer have to discount that money theoretically reputationally because the, the framework agreement says that we're gonna they're well, fine with the, the pip is fine the pip hey. is fine he he may he may have to uh well he he gave up his TGL spot so we don't know this hasn't been free this probably hasn't been free if it's real I don't know I just the six hundred million figure I I can't believe that if for no other reason simply put that would cause such heartburn with the guys who are already at live who took all the slings and arrows to be like whoa 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 I mean clearly 
there isn't a single player that went to live, maybe Cam Smith, who can be like, wait a minute. He gets that, like, most of them were were not at his apex where he is currently, but all the same. Um, so the $600 million I feel like, is a bananas number. Well, it's got to be at least, let's just pretend it's two. And because I mean, thing, if we're just talking about you know yeah, the, some of what we know again, about it's, Dustin it's all, and whatever, it's all, it's all matter, speculation. But, what I've heard is that it's essentially they're valuing the equity of the team in that number, and so, so that, that one. Oh well, that's sense. a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but, then then it makes sense. Yeah, but well, it only makes two sense. million in cash plus four four hundred and you know yeah. But that only makes sense if those teams have gotten some interest in some idea to be able to have a value that would be that high yeah there has to be a benchmark that puts it in the many hundred millions but almost 500 million dollar category for that to make any sense so that would say well, at least it puts value. it in a billion because the captain only owns 25 percent, right so and he's gonna Which, have to dilute somebody else's captaincy if he's gonna go and whatever but well there's like four teams that had non-equity captains oh uh, okay but this brings me back to the information that is probably being kicked around with these offers from the private equity guys on this stuff of understanding somewhere there are these numbers coming around that if if a huge portion of these this 600 million involves the equity in the team someone has run a model that says if all the top players are in this these teams are worth x yes mckenzie did that at the very so, beginning and that tells me that if there's going to be this merger and Tiger Woods said, hey, team golf's coming, which I, I want to circle back on one other factoid here, um, that the this is, I think, where the floodgates may go because not for PIF and like a, a truckload of cash per se, but there's only so many equity spots to own these teams. And if it was clear that Liv will survive, and if you went through the emails and things, you know, Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley, he were like, hey, we're going to be the guys who run Liv. We're going to make sure we get to live. And Jimmy Dunn, love him or hate him, the dude knows his way around a deal, and he's not going to take the scraps when the prime rib is out there to be had. And so, yeah, Jay, you can take the tour, and we're going to, we, you know, are going to, get live and and do that so i think that the issue here is there are these open captaincies and teams and that means there are four spots that are out there and i mean we can think really quick and easy who the four could easily be um well three of the four and the fourth apparently according to twitter so take everything with a grain of salt with that statement was was victor and i mean there you have it and if if that so, so you're that, talking rom cantley shoffley hovland. hovland correct and so I mean, so my i mean my my channels tell me that liv has had high level discussions with hovland right and I whatever that you, means you know i don't know you know how close they are or anything but they've had serious conversations so yeah that doesn't and what i saw me. was that one of them and again via twitter so you're you're probably getting a little bit better information than i would get is that 
they kind of came in at a number that was like, no way. <laughs> I mean, and it apparently was like a hundred million. And it was like, no way. Like, not now. I because he I guess he would get into the majors on OWGR stuff that would carry over. Um, but basically he's like, I don't have exemptions. So like his number would have to be way high right now. Um yeah. any, anyways, but if if those four go, then it's I mean, it's game set and match. Well, and I think back to the original point uh, that that Brian had was Yasser might not want those answers out there yet because it's better for him to have non-answers at the negotiating table this week in theory, right? Like that, even that's that's what Jay said as they were meeting this week. So um, to, to that end, is there any chance, you listen to Jay talk, guys, is there any chance this gets done by the 31st? You it's know, funny. Here's... Tiger said they were actually pretty far along. So I, I, I mean, Tiger was candid in some of his stuff. Based on, I'm sorry to cut you off, Brian, but Jay's responses were: a, we chatted about this online before we chatted offline before we got recording. He needs PR counseling, um, but he didn't say anything. I didn't take anything of substance out of his. He said December 31st remains a target. He didn't yeah. say it remains the target. Those are different words. Yeah, I, I get the sense that it could happen, but I, I we live in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of times when laws get passed and the laws are written in such a way where it's like, yeah, here's the broad strokes. We're going to figure this out. And the framework was the broadest of broad strokes that said we're going to figure this out. I think there could be a definitive agreement that defined something like equity grants and the macro number behind what those equity grants are and says it's up to the PGA Tour player advisory or player directors on the board and the remaining board members to determine how equity grants are distributed amongst past, future, and current members. There's 25% for the members. Yeah, correct. Or, and so or I whatever, think like, you could, you figure you could get out to a place, you could get to a place where like Yasser feels good about it and then says, whatever, Jay, like you're a details guy. You figure out the details there that makes your membership makes it palatable that they would vote for this. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't see it happening. Yeah. The there, there, is no, well, there is no membership vote required on any of this, just for the record. But By the way, though, but if, if we're looking at this, if it's, if it's true that a lot of the TV deals and things have escape hatches tied to strength of field and everything else, that would tell me that if there is going to be a series of announcements – it's going to happen now because there has to be time to get a deal done when the after the information lands. And if if those four that we just spoke of go, I'm pretty sure every TV sponsor and every tournament sponsor would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We are not signing up for this. Like we are we are going to dig into our contracts and pull every escape hatch and clause we can because this is not what we paid for. Yeah, but those guys aren't going to play any of the non-signature events anyway. I mean, maybe two or three of them. Yeah, right? but, and, signature and, events. And you can't predict that. But it, this is this is where live in the, the PGA Tour have to figure out how to get along, right? It's signature events plus eight live events. And, and yeah. there's your 16, you know, plus four majors, 20, boom. Everybody loves everybody. And, and, and you just... And this figure. is how you get the live guys into the signature events. And you, this is the, this is the big lever to pull 
because those signature event sponsors who ward on the street is they're not too thrilled about what they're being told to pay. And that, you know, in some events, the PGA tour has gone back to say, well, to make the pot right, we have to take some from the tournament and pour it into the event, which had not previously been done. So this, this tells me that if it's going to happen, the news is going to break and it's going to force basically a shotgun marriage while they sort out the long-term living arrangements. And what I gather, again, we've talked about this from for a very, very long time. There's PGA Tour A, B, and C. And I think if they can find a deal that makes PGA Tour A happy, that keeps the designated event structure intact, maybe with some changes, like they had some sponsors invites, they had some room to add more. Could they add more guys from the live field? Maybe. And, and now I'll pivot to the, to the last point, which is, the PGA Tour C category is the one that's really up in arms and and perhaps could be, but perhaps there's been systemic or structural issues with that category that has have not been addressed in far too long. And that's why we are where we are. And so let's talk about what uh, I, I look back at the uh, the moniker and how it became uh, a thing. Uh, Ryan Armour back in, in March of 2003 uh, has, had started taking to himself and his some of his fellow PGA Tour members as mules of the organization in light of all these schedule changes back in March of this year. And now it's Nate Lashley and Lanto Griffin and Chris Stroud and, and many others voicing their displeasure about the PIP, about the frustration with how these negotiations have proceeded, about the lack of information that they're getting from the Player Advisory Council, from the player directors. But what say you, Billy, about all these comments? One of the things that you often say, and I, I have this running in the back of my head, is how this affects me is how, how I think about anything. No, no one's making these decisions looking 10 and 20 years in the future. They're saying, what does this do for me next year and the year after and while I'm playing golf right this moment? So uh, not to steal your thunder, but is, is that all we're hearing is how this affects me is how I think about this? For the most part, yes. I, I think that's what you're hearing. I, I mean, I understand everything that that. Chris has said everything that Lanto has said and, and, and what, what Nate said. And, and I'm, I'm friends with all those guys, but there's no long-term vision in any of that. There's no strategic thought in any of that. It is just kind of, it doesn't work out great for me, you know, and, and they're right. And, and, and but what they're also right about is that it's not just them right there's a hundred players in that bucket and and it doesn't work out great for those 100 players either from a historical value proposition but but that's where that's where i get sideways a little bit in that the tour's always been made on the top couple of players and it was made on the top one player for the for too long. And that's where the tour actually really messed it up. In my opinion, in Pana is they hung too many, um, they put too many of their eggs in the Tiger Woods basket for too long and didn't, and didn't really develop anything else. That's a strategic error they made in the, you know, 2010, 2015 timeframe. Here we are 10, seven, eight, 12 years later. And it's always been true that the stars run the game and 
that's not different than any other sports league. It's, it, you know, I mean, like LeBron James and Steph Curry fill arenas. Okay. Not the 10th guy on the Lakers. And, you know, Shohei Atani is going to get set to sign some $500 million deal. Like, cause, cause people want to watch him play. They don't know who the backup shortstop is. Okay. I can't believe you disregarded the, Smush Parker and the Lakers by saying they don't show up to watch Smush. I didn't know who he was. Still don't. So my point is <laughs> remains. But it's just the 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 tour has been, and here's here's where here's where it goes sideways because the tour has been for a long long time the truest meritocracy in the world. If you shoot the scores, you get rewarded. And the fear that we don't yet know, but the fear from many of that bucket of a hundred, in including current player directors that I talk to, is that that won't be the case going forward, or it won't be as much the case going forward. And... That remains a key tenant, I think, of of golf is that if you shoot the scores, you can go wherever you want to go. You can go as high as you want to go. You have to shoot the scores, but it's but it's an open system that has access points available, and we can argue about the relative amount of access and whatever. But you don't need a team to to sign you. You don't to get into the you know to get into a league. You need a team to sign you. In the PGA Tour, you don't need a league to sign you. You shoot the scores, you'll get there. Billy, do you and want to sign the my question? Si- sign my petition. Currently, a fifth place finish in a no-cut 78-player signature event field is awarded 272% more points than a fifth place finish in a traditional event with a cut. This petition reads, we are requesting a significant reduction before the first designated event, which happens to be in just three or four weeks from now at, at January's yeah. century. Uh, Billy, are you, are you signing my petition? Do you do you want a special meeting to address all these things? Well, first of all, if I wanted a meeting with the commissioner, I'd just drive to Ponte Vedra and like, it, it wouldn't be that hard. Okay. So I think this is the ultimate act of cowardice. Like just put your name on the petition. If you want to, whoever these players are, the, 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 anonymous nature of this is dumb petty and like high schoolish in in my opinion like put your name on it be a man like if you want to talk to the commissioner call his office like tell the player tell whoever that you want to talk to him he'll talk to you right it might not be tomorrow but you know it'll be within the next 10 days and whatever so the other thing in this is as you well know, Brian, percentages are the worst statistics on earth. Okay. Like when we talk about percentage increases and percentage differences, like those mean nothing. We have to talk about like real. Oh, that's coming later, Billy. Oh, okay, great. But, but, but here's the deal. And, and this is some of what, like, this is the PGA tours fault. This is not the player's fault that the, that these talking points have not been developed for them. Okay. Only because I've had thoughtful conversations with a couple of people do I have a little bit more, I don't know if I have more information, but I have thoughtful information about like one of the reasons that that is a, as it is, the that in this case being that the signature events have higher FedEx Cup points weighted in the top 10 is so that 
somebody could play their way from the regular events into the signature events. By finishing top 10, you get higher weighted points. So you can keep that uh, hot hand, so to speak, going more. So Didn't you refer so, to that as the self-licking ice cream cone? Well, that's the churn inside the top 50. So they're trying to address churn inside the top 50 with some of these other things. Now, it'll be January 2026 till we know if any of this works. Okay, so we've still got 24 months before they we have seven any models and they're very comfortable with it. Yeah, I, I, great. I, I'll be here in some point in January 26 and we'll see how the models went. But the tour has done a really bad job communicating this to the players or the players have done a very bad job listening. I'm going to go with a little bit of both, but more on the tour side and that they just have not been willing to share enough information with the general membership. And, and so they continue to have these problems inside of the band of a hundred that, that has a voice and could very easily, you know, I mean, unionize they can't really unionize in the in in that exact structure but they could band together and and walk away or or whatever i mean there's plenty of other people in the corn ferry tour who will welcomely and willingly show up at the palm beach classic for five million dollars you know or whatever so i don't know does does some of this because this was the big criticism in like the the initial or beta season of of live and even going to the second season where everyone was yelling oh they're they're not, there's no information we don't know what's going on it feels like they're building the plane as they fly it is is that a fair criticism to throw at the PGA tour right now trying to react and figure all this stuff out I think so 100% they don't have it all figured out and so they can't really float much because the player directors haven't organized themselves together enough on the board to bring anything of substance to the entire board for an actual vote. So, you know, there's so many entities involved in this at this point. You know, you have the PIF, you have some other private equity involvement, you have the the PGA Tour administration you have the the player directors representing the players we can argue about how much of that is actually true are they representing themselves or are they representing the players i don't have a good sense of that um then you have the players themselves and so this is one of those things where it to me my read on the room is that the tour does not want to release information to the general membership because it's not in their best interest to do so. It, it would get leaked the moment it leaves. You know, there's no secrets in, in that yeah. regard in any way that you could keep. And so I think as you negotiate this thing, that you've got to keep it. Like a word. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and, and I, but I think like the challenge that I that I would say is, I watched this deal book summit. Aaron Ross Sorkin. It was very. There was a very funny moment when he articulated like. If you had positioned Jan June 6th like this, and he went through and just articulated it pretty on like a forward-leaning, strong way, it's like, how would that have been received versus we're merging and you're on CNBC and it's bungled from the start? And so I I leave all of what you said and I leave watching this deal book summit interview with Jay Monahan as he's clearly not the PR guy. He's not the guy that can manage strategic communications to his members, to the press. And so I'm just lost for 
again, he seems like he's made many strategic mistakes of the last two years. He, he continues to fumble his words, even when he had all the many months to prepare for this deal book thing. Like I, I just am, I'm left scratching my head as to how he has a, a job where they let him even take the stage in events like this. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in here from my experience working with strategic like leaders, entrepreneurs, launch companies, everything else. And the, the people who I would say are very strategic leaders don't need a lot of help being strategic speakers. Um, they, they understand the value of, of their words. And most of them actually are amazing at the ability to be very succinct, to say as few words as possible, but the idea is as clear as possible. And Jay is sort of the antithesis of that from seeing that deal book um, uh, interview that he had. It, like there was a couple things, and I, I mean, obviously I look at those interviews in the like, I would be up there deposing him, not necessarily interviewing him. And he had one statement where he, he talked about the, when he took his sabbatical and he was how hard it was. He's like, if you know me, you know, I'm the first guy to rush into a fight. And as soon as he said that, I was like, my next question would have been, did you need to rush into this fight? Like, was this a fight that needed rushing into or should you have had lunch and taken a meeting? Um, but that did, that did not get asked. And it, it's one of the, the things where what I'm, when you asked, why does he have a job? Part of it is who's going to come in at this stage to do anything? Like literally at this stage, the only two people on the planet who I think could replace him would be Jimmy Dunn or Ed Hurley. And I suppose both of them would probably have to take massive pay cuts to become PGA Tour commissioner. Um, because they will find out at some point when the book gets written, but my suspicion is they were largely the architect of the strategic or the framework and the entire deal that came together to shut this down. And so if if those two are the only two who can take over, they probably are like, man, this is... And, and I mean, in large part, I think once Jimmy got on the board, and again, we'll, we'll find all this out way later in time, is I think he's like, good God, what'd you do pick this fight for? Like, well, let's just try to unwind this ball of spaghetti you left us with. And, and the fastest way to do that is, is to go this route. So I, why does he have a job? No one else on the planet wants this job right now. Um, which one of the things that Jay said was when he was took his leave of absence and he had to, he was like, no, but I had to come back. I had to lead this. Like I got us, I had to finish this, blah, blah, blah. Which is interesting to me because of Rory's departure from the board just recently. If any player was as involved as getting players in the tour where they are currently, wouldn't he be the one guy who has to see this deal across the line, given everything that he said and has put up with over the last few years? Rory must not like the deal that he sees coming. That's what I think. And, and hearing Tiger's words about 
this team thing. And this, uh, I think this was Roy's elegant way of being like, guys, I'm out. Like, this is not what I fought for. I'm out of here. Yeah, I, I think that anybody who thinks Liv is going to go away is is just in La La Land. And, and Rory really wanted Liv to go away, uh, I think. And he probably saw the writing on the wall for that. You know, Tiger's willing to mash it into something else and and kind of kind of figure it out. And Team Golf's going to be around and whatever. I just can't see why the board let Jay do this deal book summit thing. Like he didn't say anything that helped. He only the, the, said the, stuff that was dumb. I, I mean, I that, that was dumb to the that, overall landscape of this, of this architecture. I agree. The only parts to me that had any resonance were, I have now a deeper empathy for empathy, the mental health sure. struggles that he went through I mean, and all those 100%. things. He's got a but real that, family with real daughters and a real wife and real people who are impacted by 100%. But, but everything else was a half answer that wasn't answered in the right half way. And to your point, George, like you can say, I, I of course can't share all of those details, blah, blah, blah. And you can say that in a very elegant way, but it was almost like Who's preparing him for these things? Did they not do any rehearsal of like tough questions you're going to get and how you can deflect and answer the question you wish they had asked? Like it was, it was a terrible performance. But the other thing is the, the actual like theme of his interview, if you peel it back, was really, you screwed up this thing big time it led you to a mental health crisis as a leader in the spotlight. How did you cope with your mental health? Talk to us about the recovery and the acceptance of failure. And like, what was that road back like? And it was literally like, because you you pointed out, well, shouldn't you have just said, what if you had, and I mean, it was like, you did all of this dead wrong. It led you to the, I apologize you know, to the nut house for a, a minute to like catch your breath. And, and so now you're back and like, how does that affect your leadership and why should people listen to you? That's exactly my point. Like, why was he allowed to do this? Like, like, like why did somebody not just be like, Jay, you, you can't go do that, man. Like, that's not going to be helpful to, to, to our world. Right. And I, I don't know. He, he made one comment in the interview and it basically is the is the linchpin on this whole thing for me he said golf was going in a bad direction and i'm paraphrasing here and we needed to control where it's going and to me that's the whole thing is like jay you don't run golf you run the PGA Tour. And the PGA Tour is a very large seat in the global game of golf. But the game of golf is not yours to control. That's just where the whole thing blows up for me is that the tour mm, just has this mindset that like we are golf. And, and it's our job to make sure that it's going where we want it to go. And I'll be perfectly candid. And, and I'm not saying that Liv has nailed it, but I think the tour is kind of like the worst version of golf. 72 holes, put it all out, 
every day, rinse and repeat. You know, if you're at your weekend club playing a game, you're playing a match. And if you're stuck behind a foursome and watching them put it all out, three-footers, doing the whole thing, you are getting ready to try to throw your putter as far as you can to get them off the course. And that's and, – and for them to say that we're golf, like, no. And this has always been my my whole argument against some of the people who were anti-live. Like, well, this is for the spirit of golf. I'm like, this is, not, this is professional golf. This is people who show up to play for money, going town to town to entertain. There are four tournaments a year that matter, and they are the four majors. And everything else is entertainment value. They come to your town. They're honing their skills. They are, they are trying to get themselves ready. They're just like any athlete tapering to the big event. They, they put their schedules together, and everything is curated to either appease a sponsor or get themselves ready for majors. And this is what they do. And to argue that this new upstart league was threatening the spirit of golf, not a single thing at anyone's club on planet Earth has changed because Liv arrived. So golf was just fine until the governing bodies got involved. But like th this whole thing has been bonkers. I can think of no better segue than you mentioning governing bodies than to talk about the governing bodies haven't officially said anything, but there's been a lot of, again, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's been a lot of speculation slash leaks of what the governing bodies may do very, very soon. And that is roll back the golf ball, but not do it in the way that they initially proposed, which is a model local rule for high level competition and juiced up balls for the rest of us. And instead it looks like Everybody's getting their their ball rolled back. We don't have to spend too much time because I think let, let's wait to see what the USGA and the RNA actually propose. It may be as exactly as as leaked. Um, I'll just say this. I've said it from, from as long as anyone will listen. In 2000, 2001, the world changed. Anything that we do that's going to take place in 2028 is 27 years too late. Yes, there's been incremental gains ever since 2001, but the whole world of golf changed then, and it was clear as day for anyone to see. And I hope that this is just the first change, and then they also go after the golf club and say, it's too freaking big. Let's limit the size. Let's bring back this. Like I hope we somehow rein back in distance being the king in all of golf and rant. Well, that's that's great. That'll... I mean, you, you could start on the golf club. Here would be one thing that I think the manufacturers could do. They could just mandate the loft of any club. If you go back and look at the loft of a modern 7-iron, and I'll say a 7-iron probably manufactured after 2005 versus a 90s 7-iron, it's probably four to five degrees different. But that's now. but that's Who all irrelevant. Cares? The number the number on the bottom does not matter. The Doesn't only matter. Loft, but, but the only loft to your point that would make any difference is if they said a driver can be no less than twelve no, degrees of loft or yeah, something yeah, like that. Ten or yeah. But but you know what? You can do that all you so like and that's fine. And my question is what are we arguing? Are we arguing the driver goes too far? All right, maybe we we work on drivers. But the the deal on this golf ball thing. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure the golf ball goes as far as it humanly possibly can go, is that 
from 2000, if that's your touch point, Brian, to now, the average, and I'll say high level professional amateur golfer looks entirely different than the high level amateur golfer that was playing in those days, right? Like that was just at the end of, well, I would have 2000, I was just out of college, but I can tell you that when I was playing junior golf in the late eighties and early nineties, I hated it. And I hated it because the kids that played it were the dopey kids who couldn't play any other sports. And like, I was good enough. Hey, take, take, take it easy. Well, you're younger than me. You got, you, you were probably further ahead. And like, I, they were the kids who couldn't play sports that had cute girls watching. That was the golfers. Now we didn't realize at the time, if you become a professional golfer, then you get your pick of cute girls. But at the time I used to like golf was not where you wanted to be. If you were an athlete, Tiger gotta play Woods, the long game, gotta play the long game. Gotta Jordan. play the long game. Uh, see, and, but length is the problem, Billy. Um, and then Tiger Woods comes along and golf changed dramatically. One, he brought an athleticism to the game that we really hadn't seen. Greg Norman had it. Jack Nicholas arguably had the athleticism, but they were sort of the outliers of their era. Tiger Woods comes along, and not only does he bring the athleticism, but he also brings this charisma. He brings the full thrust of the Nike marketing behind him. The PGA Tour sees this juggernaut and says, well, we're pitching our wagon. And so golf becomes super duper cool. And Anyone who played junior golf in my era, I'm pretty sure in your era, will honestly say the species of female golfer that is coming out on golf courses today does not resemble anything like we saw when we were growing up. And you want to bring athletes out. Golf is cool. You've got athletes who are physically way superior to anything we saw even 20 years ago playing. You now have data and track man and everything dialing down and slow-mo cameras getting that that driver angle and everything is so dialed and maximized. Mess with the ball all you want. Gordon Sargent is still going to pound it a million miles. And yeah, I've said that from the jump. From Well, from the jump for uh, for many, many, many years is that do whatever you want. Okay, restrict the driver, restrict the ball, restrict the grooves, do do whatever you want. PGA Tour players are still going to hit it further than you think they can. Whatever your model says, you got to build a factor of 1.25 or something into it because we will figure out how to hit it further. And, and, And your point's exactly right, George. Here's the thing. When you look at like the NFL Combine, not much has changed in the last 20 years, right? Nobody's running a 3-8-40, okay? You run a 4-3-4-4, you're like the fastest guy there, and that's been the case for 20 or 30 years. But golf has continued to kind of, we haven't hit that point where we've kind of hit the maximum speed. Athletes are still coming out who are figuring out how to be faster, how to be stronger, how to do more biomechanically optimize this thing because 20 30 years ago especially 30 years ago not so much 20 30 years ago the money wasn't there to make it worth it 
Now there's much more money in the sport because of Tiger Woods, period. $600 million, maybe. Maybe. Um, $2.5 billion at least for a startup league. But now it's worth doing all those things, you know? Like, it was never really worth breaking your body to play golf because you needed to play the game for 15, 20 years to, like, actually retire with some amount of money that you want to with some lifestyle you wanted in the NFL. That's been the case where, you know, every, people guys play for two, three years. That's just been the lifestyle of the game, the lifespan of the game. But you had to be at a certain level to even get to that point to earn the right to play 2.7 years. Golf's been different. And now it's not as different. The money is such where, you know, a five, eight, 10 year career is going to be just fine. Um, so, that comes with risk reward that comes with trade-offs and, and, and that's regardless of what you do at the ball, it's going to be the case. We're going to hit it farther than you, you think um, as a governing organization. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the the Bryson experiment, you see Kyle Berkshire all over Instagram and things like that. The, the Bryson thing proved not to be sustainable. Right. So if you look at what Bryson did and I, I equate it, I had a coach who always talked about when we were training, you, you think about your body has a tachometer. Right. And the our goal in training every day was to get it one, not to the red, but right at the red and just stay there. And you the longer you can do that, you can sort of move the red will move a little bit, but you can you can hold as long as you're not in the red, the reds, when you, you get distressed. So Bryson clearly went into the red a little bit, but I'm sure he's figuring out, okay, so I need to dial it back. He, you know, he's reconfiguring his body, doing everything, but he's going to figure out and push it right back to that threshold. Like Berkshire is clearly way in the red. He can only do that. So, so many times a week or whatever, but the kids coming up, they're seeing like, Oh, all right. And that's where the training is going to be, right? This taking an athlete's mentality. When I was coming up, I'm sure you guys probably got part of it. I mean, I was always told you never want to swing more than like 85%. You never, it, it's not about going after it. It's about finding the face. It's about being in the center. And if, if we're talking about reducing clubs and getting back to, well, you only want to go 85%, two things happen. One, either it gets boring and people leave the sport and that's not good, or people train like crazy so that my 85% is further than your 85%. And that becomes the norm. The athleticism is not going anywhere. So I feel like all of these things are, are going to go away. And when people are talking about the ball and this and that and these old courses and they're not, those courses are are partially and I think more becoming and I, I don't even say irrelevant because they're only irrelevant if you root for par. But the athletes this is where are I going would, away. But this is where I would continue to push back on like, yes, all the athletic and the optimization gains are real gains. And I think those are 1%, 2% gains. I think that where the ruling bodies have opportunities to make step changes, and in my view, again, I think to erase a step change that was made 23 years ago is to attack the golf ball and the sweet spot 
and where and what that actually means. And, and I'm not saying that when you connect with a golf ball swinging 130 miles an hour in that sweet spot, it still won't go forever far. I'm saying that they can make incremental and actually not incremental step changes in how distance has changed the game of golf by changing the golf ball and how much it flies and changing the sweet spot and just how hard you can swing without any error. Right now you swing and the error is very minimal. Taylor made did a freaking ad campaign for off center hits showing that guys can hit it like three centimeters right and left of the sweet spot and still hit it like 320 through the air. Like that is insanity. Do you know how far three centimeters is? Yeah, you're talking millimeters. uh, No, centimeters. Centimeters is off the face, actually. Yeah. So so you're talking millimeters. millimeters. You're talking millimeters. millimeters. Yeah, three centimeters is an inch and a half. But um, I've made. I've had that hit. It doesn't go three twenty. It doesn't go three twenty in the air. It doesn't go straight. But yeah, no, those are actually measured in millimeters. That's fair. But. So I don't disagree with any of that, Brian. I'm just, my whole premise is that run your model and then just multiply it by a factor of something because it will go further than your model. And that's what nobody's, no, that's what I, they, I, I, I think I, they're starting to understand that, but it's been a long time coming that they should have understood. Correct. And, and my hope is that they can actually put in place a framework of, and if this isn't enough, then in five years, we're going to dial it down again. And we're going to keep dialing it down such that, and again, I know, George, you think this is protecting Shinnecock and all these things. Do you just have a sign in your front yard that just says, get off my lawn? (laughs) I hate fun. I love fun. I love getting long shots. Keep off my lawn. I just think (laughs) there has been a, a change in what skills matter in golf. And in particular, to me, the skill that matters most in golf is can you full send and can you basically take out all the architectural nuance in any golf course. And Bryson, to me, broke that model at Winged Foot. Like, he literally broke its back and said, it's over, guys. If you don't make drastic changes to the golf clubs and the golf balls that we use, we will obsolete everything. Like, I'll give you one. And I'll tell you why you're 100% wrong. You are 100% wrong, and we have dead proof while you're 100% wrong that driving the ball off the planet as far as you can doesn't matter and that proof is rory mcelroy he is the best driver of the golf ball he can't hit a wedge within he's not a top 50 wedge player and he's not the greatest putter bryson doesn't get a lot of credit bryson was obviously like i'm going super mega gonzo on the drive thing bryson's a very good putter he gets overlooked for that but he's a very good putter and until we take away greens or go to like 12 inch cups. The last I checked, the reason that Tiger Woods has 82 victories and all the majors is that dude, when it mattered at eight feet, would make a putt. So, yeah, well, we, so here's, here's, here's where your model breaks down, George. Is that guy who, you know, can't hit a wedge and is not the greatest putters number two in the world? So, majors. It's just majors. All the okay. matters is majors. Yeah, he's got four. All right. And that's yeah. a lot. Like, I mean, like, I don't like people don't seem to understand that like somebody having four majors is a lot. We treat Roy McElroy like he's you know amounted to nothing in his life in some I'm ways. Not arguing some... That he's, but my deal is everyone will tell you, bar none, 
in the pro game, he's the best driver of the golf ball we currently sure. have. It, it may have been Dustin Johnson for a hot minute, but it's like Understood. it's been Rory consistently since 2014, whenever he just sort of blew on the scene. But that hasn't been enough. So driving the ball, while I get it makes you all the money, it gets you up the leaderboard, it shows a opportunity to be the guy. Yeah, That's so there's a requisite the length at which you need to be in that top tier. I think that's what's kind of been shown in this distance, like, but you that's know, not deal. You're just going to move the bracket back. They'll shorten so the I don't disagree so with that. I, 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 I don't disagree with that. I, and those I think same that, tier of guys will still be the guys. Correct. So the question becomes, you know, does... 28 under no longer win John Deere as a result, right? And it's, and it's 17 shot, under. Like 24 under at the Vegas yeah, Open a million years ago. So guys can go low, and they've been going low forever. All good points. I, I don't think there's a right answer to this. I mean, I think that the only answer that has merit is the sustainability argument. Um and if I actually thought that's why they were actually doing it, then I might be more on board with it. But and, and to your I'm point, not, I don't actually about, know that that's why. So there's two things that you said that I think are like super pertinent is because of the athleticism that has just burst onto the scene in golf in the last 20 years. You know, to Billy's point, you look at the NFL combine, you look at the Olympics and the, the 100 meter dash. I mean, we are moving hundredths of a second is the world record and if we can just and you, here's the thing i look at when i say that no one no one gets upset when they broke 10 seconds they cheered they cheered that we broke 10 seconds when we broke 99 they cheered how fast can usain bolt go how low can he go right we wanted to see how low they could go and if the question is par then let's get rid of par and just count up strokes. Can but, but they do move? count up. They do count up strokes. Like but, par but they, is for all it, intents and purposes irrelevant in a stroke but play it's, event. It's still there, and that's when people say, "Oh, I don't want to see twenty-four under." Instead of being like, "Holy cow, could someone break two sixty? Could we see two sixty go down?" Like instead of being excited for how good guys can be. Golf, for whatever reason, roots for the referee and is like, how good can the course be? It's, I, I don't know. Like I, This is where there's a dichotomy, and you and I all disagree on this, and I don't think either of us are wrong, but it's literally, I want to see how good the players can be. Can 260 win a tournament? I, I don't know what the actual lowest counted up scores are, but can, can 260 win? Can two, you know, whatever? Like, we should be rooting for greatness Instead of being like, let's protect the vision of a guy who was building golf courses for people at the time who didn't actually do much physical labor and weren't really athletes of any kind. Like these venerable golden age golf courses were not built for athletes. And I think that's the part that golf has not wrapped its head around is that it is becoming a sport of athletes. For the first time in forever, as much as 
I'm sure people are like, oh, no, we're athletes. This is well, like, the hell you are. You had 32 Coors Lights on the course. That's not really an athletic endeavor. But the fact that, like, professional golfers. It takes a special kind of conditioning, George. Hey, Kevin Kisner, it ain't a hobby. Um, but the reality is that the professional golfers, the time they're putting into their bodies, the time they're putting into the craft, like getting everything right, there's an athleticism that's coming to the game that was never imagined when all these courses were being built. And who cares? Let's but, see. But I guess, but I guess like, get. but I guess where I go to where you, as the governing bodies of the game have an opportunity, I, I would argue a, a responsibility to leverage these things. It, it would be like saying, you know, yes, there's better athletes. Let's continue to raise the fences on all the top golf and all the driving ranges, or you could just do limited flight golf balls. And like you're, you're reflecting the changes in athleticism with things that you can control. What are the controllables? And to me, the controllables are the ball that is being hit and what it's being hit with. And again, I go back to like, I actually think the USGA's distance insights report was very well stated. And I'll, I'll read it if you'll allow me. A hundred I mean, year trend. You... Like seriously, think about this. There's a hundred year trend of hitting distance increases as well as a corresponding increase in the length of golf courses across the game and globally. We think it is detrimental to the game's future. The inherent strategic challenge presented by many golf courses, not just like three golf courses, I would argue every golf course. Many golf courses can be compromised, especially when those courses cannot become long enough to keep up with increases in the hitting distance. This can lead to the risk of many courses becoming less challenging or obsolete. Increased hitting distance can undermine the core principle the challenger golf is, is needing to demonstrate a broad range of skills to be successful, not just distance. If courses continue to lengthen, it's at odds with growing societal concerns about the use of water, chemicals, and other resources. Longer distances lead to longer playing times. That's the wrong direction. Not necessary for a challenging, enjoyable, sustainable game. Like to me, all of these things are like, what can you change? What could we change as all these athletes are optimizing and getting stronger? What can we right, possibly right, so here's, do? Here's, here's really the, I, so, so if my premise of this whole thing is that a sport should not be regulated for the 0.01% of its participants. Okay. And, and, and we can talk about, yeah, college, we can add it up and we can get to 2%. Okay. But like, are y'all's friends hitting it too far? Like, is that something they're really struggling with? I like, think that like, I, like, I, like, I think that I hit it too far, and I'm not kidding when I say that. Okay, then hit more. And George hits it a lot longer than I do. But like, I no, think no, that no, I no. Hit okay, it too but far. no, but you guys, you guys but, would get close to the two percent, right? But my point here, here, here's here's my question, and I don't know the answer to this. Like, I'm, I'm legitimately asking this like like question. Like, has the average handicap gone down in the last ten years? That's what I was gonna say. No, they've, they've and, proven that it stagnates. Great. Yeah, it stagnates. Are, so are we, we don't actually have a distance problem. At our club? We're not. Right. So 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 there are other nuances, pieces to get to single digits, to get to plus handicaps, whatever. Now, so so the question that's now being asked by the governing bodies, because it was clear whenever they in March when they announced this thing that they were gonna do something. Now what they're going to do is saying, you know what? Everybody said, no, it's not a good idea to bifurcate the game. Fine. We'll agree with you. We're going to do this for everybody. Is that a good idea? I don't know. Okay. Brian, you pontificated on our podcast from the beginning. Was the USGA, was, was Mike Wan playing a card game 
a chess game and saying, nobody's going to go for this, but if I come out with, you know, rolling it back for everybody, I'm going to get, you know, massacred. Dead, dead on arrival. In, dead on arrival, right? But nobody's going to go for this, so I'm going to float it this way, whatever. I actually spoke to somebody who who worked at the USGA for, for a long time, and I was like, you know, I got a buddy who kind of thinks, like, was Mike Wan playing a chess game? And he kind of just smiled, didn't say much. And I was like, There's huh, no way the manufacturers were was. ever going to be for bifurcation, ever. No you chance. took away their marketable advantage, and you no made, double their R&D costs. They Correct. were not going to do it. And he Never had to happen. have known that. He had That's to have right. known that. Yeah, you, you'd have to be, you'd have to live under a rock to, to, to not have, like, thought about that. Yeah, so, for sure. So, then so here happens, we are. And what happens if the manufacturers... Because they've invested all this money, because they would, they now all have to like reinvest to basically, which they do, and they're giving them a five-year runway to do it, but and, and you know thing. whatever. I mean, of so course, this is all speculation. Here. We have nothing yeah. announced. We spent the last thirty it, minutes talking about something that doesn't even exist yet. But if, if if it is a rollback, they literally have to build a worse product and market a worse product that everybody knows is a worse product. Well, but it's the best product available now, right? Yeah, so, but I mean, you have, there's you not because it's not a worse product because there's what? not a better product available. Hey guys, what happens if they all just say no? Then you're going to force the USGA. Well, then Augusta's going to make a golf ball. That's what's going to happen. Augusta will make their own golf ball. That will become the uniform golf ball for competition. And then once Augusta does it, everybody else will fall in line. Well, see, and Augusta, and, and this is where I, I we talked about this or whatever, but like to me, that would have made perfect sense. Turn Augusta almost into, if you will, like a NASCAR race. That literally all the says engines are the same. That we we are every single person coming here is going to play our ball when you receive your invitation on December 1st or whenever they arrive, you will also receive 12 dozen balls that you may begin to practice with and be comfortable with, you will play this type of ball and it will be given to you when you arrive on the property for the week of the Masters. That would be fantastic. I would have no problem with that whatsoever because they, they, have, they have built themselves a mystique and everything else that they are the Masters, that you know this major was just pulled out of thin air, which it was, and... They want to do it. And by the way, kudos to them because we all lock in for four days a year and, and do it. And if they did that, I would have zero problem with it. I think it'd be it is, awesome. And the, the only thing I'll say is that that may be not too far-fetched because even though we're going to have potentially, again, we're speculating, we'll see if it gets announced this week, a ball for everyone. They're They're setting up at least two years of bifurcation. And I, I'd argue they're, they've already laid the, the land of, hey, there could be a model local rule of, like literally Augusta could say, our limit for CC of driver heads is 275 CCs. Buckle up, buckos, like figure it out. Bring bring your best three wood and your old school driver and and optimize it for the month prior to the, to our event because we're putting skill back into, the, into driving a golf ball. They could do it, theoretically. Well, they could, although let's not forget there is the wild card out there right now where it is the masters and everything else, but the majors were major for a very long time because they were the biggest paydays. Let's, let's not forget why they, and they sort of held themselves out that way. 
There's history for sure. Don't forget that there's a wild card out there who if things really got funky and they really just changed the characteristic of everything, he'd be like, all right, boys, I've rented out Shadow Creek. We're playing for a hundred million. See everybody in two months. And it'll be the first weekend. It'll be the first Sunday of, a, of, of April. I, I think you'd, you'd really start to, you really have some friction. I don't know. I just think this whole thing, we'll wait and see what it does. I feel like they are, they are ignoring the change of the game and we're, we're unreasonably overlooking the fact that just the athleticism of the game was never comprehended by Seth Rayner, CB McDonald, Alistair McKenzie, like they could have never imagined not just the equipment, but the athletes and the athleticism that go into the swing today. I will give you that. And, so, and to me, there's a reasonable lengthening of golf courses and changes to golf courses to accommodate for that. But it has to, you have to have the ability to regulate it at some point. But and that, so, that to I me mean, is. I guess this is the question I'll ask you to ponder, Brian. Should they start adding weight to the shoes of guys in the hundred meter dash to keep them from going faster? They did. They did change the shoe requirements on like the lift and the change from the heel to the toe. And because the guys were crushing the marathon and all these other things were going out the window. So yes, they, they make regulatory changes to as crazy things as like shoes in the Olympics. But they're not, they're not reigning in the athlete. I could argue they're biomechanically changing something that was optimized and blah, 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 blah. Like uh, we could go on forever. What's next? We can go. What what is next? Here's the crazy part. We cut like eight agenda topics from this and we're going to wrap with this. What is next is this live qualifying event, which, which is an amazing thing on so many levels. And we'll see how it actually plays out. One of the more interesting things is that, you know, you've got a bunch of, you know, PGA tour, stars of yesteryear people that are sort of in the mule category a little stars bit a big word you know known players yeah i mean you know duffner's won a major kyle stanley kevin chapel martin trainer chris stroud there's a you know former ncaa champion Braden thornberry didn't hasn't hasn't like you know gotten his career off to the start that he might have imagined i think there are some interesting and recently relevant names and and it makes me wonder like these names to me are better than, you know, apologies to, to Siwon and his family, Siwon Kim, and a lot of the players that made up the bottom third of the Live Golf roster. And so I look at these as like names. They're names that if you got to fill out a 48-man roster and you're going to make some, some bombshell signings that maybe the top two, three, four, five, these guys would fill out the bottom 12 pretty handily. And so, again, I look at this as like, Liv isn't going away. And if anyone thinks it is, they're they're wildly optimistic on this one. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who makes it and sort of what comes. There's still, I guess, an open question as to PGA sanctions on this. They initially said it, it's a non-competing event. We have no qualms. And then they came out and said, no, we don't think you should go do this. Um, so I think there's still an open question as to what's what's going to happen maybe they'll get resolved this week during when jay and yasser have some lunch and play some golf and have some lunch and get together um and see see what shakes out well we take one weekend off for thanksgiving a bunch of stuff happens in the world and of course uh 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that as soon as I publish this, you know, three or four things will drop, not the least of which will maybe cause us to have an emergency pod or just cover it all this time next week. This was a fun one. We get to debate the ball all over again, potentially next week, George. Get get your popcorn ready. Well, just take some time to get smart and get right, and we'll have a much better chat. I will. I'm going to bring some data with me. All right, boys. This was a fun one. I will see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.